To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Sports Talk Podcast with Darcy Waldegrave from Newstalk ZB. To get a player's view, let's bring in the CEO of the New Zealand Rugby Players Association, Rob Nickel. Rob, thanks for uh, joining us tonight. What feedback, first of all, have you received from the players after the first weekend of wearing these smart mouth guards for the first time? Uh, yeah, well, for many of them, actually, it's not the first time, Jase. Uh, you know, the smart mouth guards have been around for a while now. Um, in fact, 2018-19, the Harlequins transitioned to using them. And the, the cool thing about the technology, and this is the positive aspect to it, is it's, also, it's, it's partly the identification of, of contact, if you like, that could result in a concussion, but it's actually their ability to measure contact full stop and be able to manage load on players. And that's where Harlequins use them. They use them to manage weekly training load at a level where they're able to, um, over time, reduce exposure um, to players to contact, and therefore they had a, a massive reduction in injuries, particularly training injuries. And during 2019, they were able to make sure a lot of their players were available to play a lot more often. They ended up winning the comp that particular year after a really bad 2018. So, you know, they've been around since then. We, we've trialled them um, in the female game. It uh, was trialled at the World Cup. Um, the Blackburns didn't participate because their experience with them prior to that was not good. Um, but all the other teams used them, and, and there was... There was a lot of learnings from it, um, and then we tried them in Super Rugby last year, and we had a lot of operational challenges, logistical challenges, and they didn't really take off. Uh, but really, the, where we're at at the moment, uh, you're talking about a technology that's really positive and got a lot to offer, but I think you're in a scenario, and we warned World Rugby about this, where they've mandated them, and they've pushed them, and they're pushing them too hard, and they've got to be careful because if they push them too hard too early, and we haven't got the technology down pat, and we haven't got everyone's confidence in the feel of the mouth guard and how it all operates, players in this performance environment will will drift away from them. And once they drift away from them, it's really hard to get them back. So we're in a little bit of a, a difficult situation at the moment, but we'll, we're, we're working hard on it. So we've started the Super Rugby season then, if I'm hearing you correctly, in a mandated situation. These are mandatory for players to wear, even though there is still by the sounds of it, a layer of uncertainty about their effectiveness. Yeah, so, so what they've done is is a big part of refining technology like this is capturing data, right? So you want a whole lot of data so you can measure levels and, and you can start to demonstrate and conduct research projects that justify its introduction, et cetera, et cetera. So they haven't done that work yet. But to get the data, what World Rugby have come up with is a model whereby they said, right, if you're on the field in a professional game and you want to access the HIA, the head injury assessment process, you have to wear a smart mouth guard. So it's kind of a, a tricky way of mandating it. If you choose not to wear a smart mouth guard, and this is not just during the game, this is in the whole week leading it. So this is whenever you take the training field, you have to wear the mouth guard and it records all the data, including in-game, but it also includes trainings in the week leading up to it. If you choose not to wear the smart mouth guard, you resort back to recognise and remove, which is the same as the community game. So if you suffer a knock during the game and they see it, they'll remove you and you can't go back on. So you can't get a head injury assessment. And so they're basically saying um, you have to wear an IMG mouth guard if you want to be able to access the HIA. If um, you don't wear it, you don't get to access the HIA. And it's that mandating that we raise big issues around. 
and they didn't listen to us, to be fair. They said, no, you're wrong, we've got to mandate it, we have to do this. If we don't do this, you know, not enough players will wear it and, and we believe they should be wearing it. And then we've pointed out, well, that's a problem because if, if, if you don't logistically and operationally back it up, if it's not a comfortable mouth guard and you find players not wanting to wear it because it's not comfortable, or you end up with a situation where players have been removed from the field of play um, because of the IMG reading, but then they're passing the HIA and they're going back on the field, which we saw in the weekend, eventually players are going to go, why, why are we doing this? And they'll, if they drift, that's our worry, is they drift away from what is otherwise really positive technology. So you know, we know they're working hard to refine it and get it right. There is a group of players that will, will persevere with this because they're, they're able and willing. But uh, there will also, I suspect, now be a group of players that will say, actually, um, I'll just go recognise and remove, and they won't wear the mouth guard. And, and we understand why those players are making that decision, and we warned World Rugby about it as well. So it's unfortunate. Have you had instances of that today? Have you heard from players who, who have said that even after just the one week they're, they're, they're willing to not wear them and go with recognise and remove at their own risk? Yeah, you'll, you'll definitely have, I think, some players. And in fact, I saw some on the weekend, frankly, and we're seeing some in other competitions go with that too. And the, the, the reasons are all a little bit different. Some there's a genuine comfort thing. So the mouth guards are quite quite bulky um, and they, they literally would prefer to go with a different type of mouth guard. Of course, mouth guards are mandatory. And then you've got the, the players that they don't like wearing mouth guards. So what's really interesting is New Zealand is the only country we've mandated mouth guards at the professional level for a long time because of ACC and our regulations. And we've you know, had some reasonably well-publicised situations where players have, have been to how to account because they haven't worn mouth guards. Um, but the rest of the world haven't been in that space. They haven't had to wear mouth guards. And so you know, this is all new. Not only do they have to wear an IMG, but they actually, for a lot of players, for the first times in their careers ever, they actually have been told you have to wear mouth guards. So, you know, so some it's the comfort and fit. Others, it's the trust. And, you know, I think people will understand in watching that rugby in the weekend, you know, you had a game that at key moments, there's a lot of pressure on. People want to be there. They're in the space and they're getting pulled for an HIA and then they're passing the HIA and allowed to go back on the field. But, but they've been taken off for 10 minutes and they're shaking their head a bit. Um, you know, but the flip side, as I said, Jason, is a, it's, really, it's really positive technology. So we want it to work. We just are a little bit frustrated that World Rugby and New Zealand Rugby and the powers that be mandated it and pushed it so hard on the players because, like I say, it would be such a shame to lose momentum around what is otherwise a really cool piece of technology, particularly around managing player load during the week and over the course of a player's career um, and the stuff that we can learn from it because they just chose to push too hard too early. So we're doing what we can to make sure the players understand the bigger picture, um, but we also respect the fact that if they're saying, well, they can push hard and I'm just going to push back by choosing recognising the roof, which is unfortunate, but if that's what they choose, we'll, we'll support them in that as well. Why did they push so hard, despite the genuine concerns that you raised? Well, my view is, and bear in mind, ourselves and the Australian players in particular, we, you know, we had some pretty robust conversations in November last year in the Northern Hemisphere with World Rugby about this. Um, I think there's two things. One is there's a genuine belief that this technology is a game changer for the welfare of players around, not like I said, not just the concussion, but more so the, the training load placed on players in contact sport. And, and I've seen enough to believe this has got some real potential as well, so I can understand that. I think there was a, a real desire to be able to gather a lot of data. To get a lot of data, you need players wearing it and delivering the data. And I also think, and we would be naive, naive not to, 
to suggest that doesn't impact the situation is this, this legal case in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, it's, it's almost like, if I think back to the 2019 World Cup, we had a high-tackle framework implemented that ruined the round-robin of that tournament. Um, and then they, they tidied it up for the final series. And then after that, we changed the framework to what we have now. This last World Cup, we had dramas around the bunker and TMO and the fictitious nature of the way in which they were, you know, um, adjudicating the game and it drew a lot of frustration but they want to be seen to be doing the right thing in the face of this pending um, legal action but also you know, as a means by trying to say actually we, we are doing all we can to make this game as safe as possible and I think sometimes that pressure is getting to them and it's impacting the decisions that are being made and the best group I find are the players because they're so calm they see the full picture and you really want to listen to them and take them with you. You know, they're clearly concerned about their welfare and they want to make sure all the right things are being done, but they still love the game and they want to play the game and keep the shape of the game for, for what it is. And, um, and so, you know, I just feel that sometimes uh, those in the decision-making position, probably that pressure gets to them a bit. So I think they're the three reasons, mate. Yeah. If a player chooses recognise and remove, so they don't wear the mouth guard, they, they say, no, I'm not going not gonna to wear it, so... Um, if you want me to come off, you have to recognise that and remove me. Who does the recognising and removing? Okay, well, firstly, just for, for the kids out there, they're still going to wear a mouth guard because they've got to wear a mouth guard. That's yep. not an IMG. Yep. All right. So, so they go to recognise and remove. It's just like the community game. So, you know, if a player displays one of five symptoms: ataxia, vomiting, uh, disillusion, knocked out. Under whether you've got HIA or not, you have to be removed from the field of play, and you're not allowed to return. Okay, and then you will come off, and at the elite game, you then go through what we call HIA two and HIA three, which are actually tests that are you know taken out um, over the course of the next forty eight hours to three days, and that will determine whether you've actually had a concussion or not. So that's basically what they will do: is they will be watching that player, and like we all will be, and if you see them display any of the five symptoms then they'll be removed and they won't be able to return to the field of play, which is no different than those that are accessing the HIA. Where it might be different is if, for example, the match day doctor sees the player take a knock, um, but they don't display any of those five symptoms. They just see them take a knock in the video footage on sideline. And then they, the team doctor goes out to check on the player and they say, look, you've sustained a knock. We're a bit worried about you. And the player goes, actually, no, I'm fine then we end up in this awkward scenario where they might say, well, actually, we've seen you take a knock, and the match day doctor might say, well, no, we want you off the field. Even though you haven't displayed any of those five symptoms, we want to remove you. And the players go, but I'm okay. And we end up going back to what we had before the HIA, where players start to hide when they've had a hit. And that's, that's what worries us the most, is that HIA is best practice, and we want players to be able to access it no matter what. And saying you've got to wear one of these mouth guards in order to access it, to us we're worries. Our worry is that players and coaches and, and you know teams will start to hide those little knocks that you don't see um, in order not to be removed for the rest of the game if they go to recognise and remove. So that, that's the concern. Hopefully that came across clear, but basically for people out there, if you go to recognise and remove, it's exactly the same as playing senior club rugby on the weekend. The only difference is they will then, after the game, access HIA 2 and 3, so the full test to see if they have been concussed or not. And if they haven't, then they're fine to return to play the following week. If they have, if they subsequently fail those tests, then they'll follow the normal return to play for a professional player. 
but they but they can't go back on the field to play. So they don't get the ten to twelve minutes to be assessed. They once they're off, they're off. Gotcha. So just to summarise this, Rob, here's what I'm hearing. The, the players take their own welfare and that of their fellow pros very seriously. They, they do. They understand the serious nature of the collision sport that they're involved in and the possible, uh, you know, and the possible repercussions of that. They are keen to do anything they can to alleviate that and to make sure those who have taken a knock um, uh, have the necessary care taken with them. But they're just not 100% on board with the practical application of these smart mouthguards. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. I think what we're saying as a player group down here is you're just pushing it a bit hard by mandating it as a, as a means by which you you know you can only access HIA if you wear that mouth guard. It's like don't mandate it. Work with the willing and able. Refine the system. Get the operational and logistical stuff sorted out. Get get all the little you know kinks if you like worked out. We'll work really hard to get as many players as possible contributing to the study and and wearing the mouth guards. But where a player is hesitant, don't force them work with them and over time refine to the point that you get a lot more confidence before you mandate it. They just jump from from what from where to go. They literally went from these being out there and then they introduced the ability to have real time readings on the sideline and they went straight away to mandatory rather than spending a twelve month period, eighteen month period of of trialing it when it's real time and, and refining it and getting it humming before considering whether it, it warrants being mandated and also spend that 18 months to get some data to work out whether it should or shouldn't be. Because if we get to the end of Super Rugby and we've had 50 players taken off the field for HIAs because the mouth guard read a certain reading and none of them end up having concussion, there's going to be some pretty frustrated coaches and players around. Rob, you've given us uh, terrific context, mate. Thanks for, uh, for joining us this evening. I'm sure our listeners will have some thoughts as well. Thanks for your time, mate. For more from Sports Talk, listen live to News Talk ZB from 7 p.m. weekdays or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.